I, uh, I was walking in the back there and Barbara Babs saw me without my headset and she said, you're on. And I said, I don't have to do both sermons. And her heart just was, and she's like, do not start with me. I love you. Last week, Steve preached. If you were here, you were blessed. And uh, if you didn't see it or hear it, uh, you can go online and, and watch it. When Steve preaches, he, he unites us in a way that's it's just it's awesome. It encourages us. It's, he told a story about receiving a bass guitar uh, from his mom, from a lady named Mrs. Gillespie. It's, it's a great story. And, and how when he got that bass guitar, eventually he started to play it. And, and it just it changed the way that he related to the Lord. It, it, it showed him ways in which that he could worship the Lord and, and be brought closer to the Lord in that. And I was sitting in the pew and I was like, oh my, this is so, this is, I'm preaching next week. I, I had a teacher once that gave me an instrument and it changed everything for me as well. Thank you. And what it was is the Lord saying, no, no. Nope, well, I got something different for you. Not music. Thanks, Lord. We've been in Acts for a while now, and uh, today is the last sermon in the series. And if you're keeping record at home, we're only at uh, Acts 10, and there's 18 more chapters. So today, we're going to recap what we've done, and I'm going to finish the last 18 chapters. <laughs> it, but ironically, and this, I'm not joking, it's, this will be the shortest sermon you've had in a while. Um, Acts has sometimes been referred to as the history of the early church. And people go to Acts, and they expect to find the history of the early church. Now, it is a historical narrative. You're going to get history in it, but you don't get the complete comprehensive history of the early church. We don't know a lot. The author of Acts, Luke, leaves out a lot of the history. We don't know what happens with the church in Rome. We don't know what happens in the church in Ethiopia. There's a ton of stuff. So if we're going there for the history, we're going to be a little disappointed because it's not going to be complete. Acts has sometimes been referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. If this is completely true, then a lot of apostles don't get any ink whatsoever. We don't know what Thaddeus was doing at this time or Bartholomew. Only two guys really get most of the ink, Peter and Paul. And we do get a lot of what they were doing at the time, but it's not even what they were doing. It might be more about what the Lord was doing in them. Acts is sometimes referred to as a manual for church formation and order and governance, a blueprint for church function. Here also, there are a lot of gaps. There are a lot of questions that we still have. If we go to Acts and we, we ask the question, how do we do church? 
we're going to be a little disappointed not being able to see the author going, hey, this is how you should do it. Boom, 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 boom. There's a lot of different variety that we see in terms of the Holy Spirit and his role in the life of believers, how he manifests himself, um, the role of baptism, the role of communion, how often we should do these things, how we should do these things. Um, so if we go to Acts for that purpose, um, I think we're, we're going to be a little puzzled. Maybe that's not exactly what the author was intending when he wrote Acts. So what is, what is the purpose of Acts? Why was it written? It was written by Luke, the good doctor. He also wrote another book called Luke. And Luke actually has more words in the New Testament than any other author. A lot of people think that it's Paul because he has so many letters. Or John because he's got John and Revelation and other stuff. But Luke really has more words than anybody else. And he has a lot to say about the gospel and how we relate to it. In 1871, a French archaeologist, you guys probably know this story, I don't know why I'm telling you, <laughs> named Charles Claremont, did that ring a bell? Okay, no. He found a, a tablet, he t a, a stone tablet that used to hang at the Jerusalem temple. And it read, in Greek, no outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary. And whoever is caught will ha only have himself to blame for the ensuing death. At one time long ago, worship at the temple of God was exclusive only to the Jewish nation. Luke's gospel and his companion book, Acts, in a, in a, a, in a sweeping way, washes that exclusivity away. Now, this wasn't Luke's idea. It didn't come with Luke. There were hints of this all along in the Old Testament, that the good news is gonna be for all people. We, we, we know that as we're looking at it from the other side, but, but when it gets to the New Testament and it gets to Luke writing about this, this is, this is mind-blowing. But what Luke wants to do is to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the savior for all people, not just the Jewish nation. Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free, all people. That's why in Luke, you find references to him using Isaiah 42, which talks about a light of revelation to the Gentiles. You see a, an encounter that Jesus has with the Syrophoenician woman, where she's talking to him about the breadcrumbs falling from the table. That's why uh, a centurion at the end at the cross in Luke's gospel, a non-Jew, looks at Jesus and declares his righteousness. And probably most famous of all in Luke is his parable about the Good Samaritan. Everything that Luke is doing is he's communicating that he is for the out, that, that Jesus is for the outsider, for the outcast. That those that are on the outside, that think they're on the outside, they're actually on the inside. And those who think they're on the inside, they're actually on the outside. There's a reversal, a flip, and Luke does it beautifully. We read Luke 14, where he talks about the, the guests. We'll talk a little bit about that at the end of this, but, but have that in your mind as Luke's purpose of writing his gospel and his companion book, Acts, is to, to show to the, the world, and specifically to the Gentiles, that the gospel 
is for us. So what is Acts? In a word or a sentence, Acts is the unstoppable progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ through his church by the Holy Spirit. This thing is unstoppable. Nothing is going to stop this from advancing. And when we read Acts and we go through systematically and read Acts 1 and then 2 and then 3, we keep on seeing these things that would throw a wrench into the plan. At what point would you, if you're, uh, if you're in this, would you throw your hat in and be like, nope, I'm out? In Acts 1, the disciples, the apostles still don't understand what's going on. They're, they say, is now the time you're going to restore Israel to the kingdom of God? Like, they're, they're still a little confused about what that's going to look like. In Acts 2, in Acts 2, um, the apostles are accused of being drunk. Their reputations are now on the line. You know, I, that doesn't seem like a significant thing, but how many people don't want to have anything to do with the truth because of the reputational problem with that? I had a conversation with a high school friend of mine just last week. And I, I presented the gospel to him. We, we've been talking for a while. And I said, is this something that is stirring in your heart? Do you want to surrender your heart and your life to the truth of Jesus Christ? And he looked at me and he said, I'm not willing to sacrifice that now. I have too much going on in my life. I really appreciated his honesty, but my heart broke, of course. And I know there's going to be a day, a soon, that, uh, that he's, it's going to be... <laughs> It, it's going to be um, something he can't resist. But at, for, for right now, this is something, this reputation is, is on the line. In Acts 3, we see Peter and we see John and they're at the temple. They don't even have enough gold or so they don't have resources to, to feed the hungry. How are they going to change the world when they don't have any money? Well, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they healed the guy. That's pretty awesome. But it, it, it does shine a light of saying like, hey, we don't have much to offer except the Lord. And that's enough. But every single time in Acts, we see some opposition that, but it's, it's not time yet. It's not time to throw the hat in. In Acts 5, there's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. They lie to the Holy Spirit about how great their hearts are, generosity, and they, uh, they get killed by the Lord. And you would think at that point, people would be like, I'm out. The stakes are way too high. What is going on? This is crazy talk. But the exact opposite happens. More people are drawn into the truth of this gospel. Later on in Acts 5, a Pharisee, I think Tim preached on this, few weeks back, Galileo, Galileo, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Gamaliel, he's a Pharisee, and he stands up at the Sanhedrin. The guys had gotten arrested, and they were trying to figure out what to do with these guys. Now, just a side note, they got arrested all the time. Like, is that the point where you would throw your, you'd throw the towel in and be like, nope, I'm out. I just, get, getting arrested, I don't want to, that's too much for me. I got too much to lose. 
as a side note for my life, it is an irrational fear. It's my biggest irrational fear is to be accused of a crime I didn't commit and then go to jail for it for the rest of my life. And it stems from the idea that my, I'm gonna en you're enter into my mind right now. My mom has had twins when I was born and didn't tell me about the identical twin who is doing evil stuff and committing crimes and I'm going to be accused of that crime and go to jail. I know it sounds stupid, but it's irrational. That's why, that's why it's called an irrational fear. But going to jail is one of those things that these guys do all the time. They're arrested, they go to jail. And Gamaliel is like, hey, leave these men alone. If this is from man, it's gonna fail. But if it's not, if it's from the Lord, if it's from God, you're not gonna be able to stop these guys. You're not gonna be able to stop them. And then right after that, you would think the biggest opposition to this movement and just a, it, the movement ending right away is the persecution and actual murder of the followers. And we see that in Stephen, when Stephen is stoned to death. And you would think, and logically, I don't know how much I could take for the gospel. But what man intends for evil, God intends for good. And what happens is people, they roll out. They're like, ah, the persecutions too. They roll out, they leave, but they take the truth of the Lord with them. See, the church grows the most through its persecution. And what happens, and we read this, if you turn to Acts 11 with me, in Acts 11, starting in verse 19, it says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. So this is going out. This, this gospel is going out. This unstoppable progress of the gospel is, is going out from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. In Acts 1, 2, 3, and 4, it stays in Jerusalem. And we're told in Acts 1.8 that they're to wait in Jerusalem, to stay there. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see this geographical progression of this gospel, this unstoppable progress of the gospel throughout Acts. It's from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria. And then in the second half of the book is Paul running this gospel in missionary journeys to Galatia, to Europe, to Asia, to Rome. It's going all over the place. And look what happens right here. Before Paul even goes on his missionary journey, it says, they were telling the message only to Jews. All right, well, that's, that's good, but it gets better. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene. And by the way, you know that Cyprus is a place, right? In real like on earth. Some of you might have gone to Cyprus. Like these are real places with real people and this really happened. Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and they began to speak to the Greeks telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. We get a little taste of this last week when Stephen was talking about Cornelius. But it's going. 
It's going beyond, first to the Jew, but then to the Gentile, to everybody else. It's gonna go through the Jews to the Gentiles. It says the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This gospel is moving in time and place through people and it's unstoppable. I mentioned that the second half of Acts describes Paul's evangelism, taking it to the ends of the world. The meat and potatoes of, of evangelism is, is Paul's desire to, to go to the world with the good news of the gospel. It gives details about places that he went, people that he encountered, significant events that happened to him and his companions, and he takes the gospels to the ends of the earth. We're not gonna finish Acts here from the pulpit, but you should finish Acts. If Sunday morning is the only time that we read scripture or scripture's permeating our hearts, it's probably not enough. And I think we're missing out on a lot of what the Lord has for us. Start small, but start today. If you're looking for something to read, you can start in Acts chapter one, read a chapter a day. If you're, not reading something, if you're not reading the Bible already. Or better yet, go to Luke and start there and read Luke chapter one. And every day, read a chapter, read a chapter, and in two months, you'll be done with Luke and Acts. Write down things that, that you don't understand. Write down observations, things that you never saw before that you're like, that's pretty interesting. And then have conversations with people about what you read. I promise you, it will be a blessing Fall in love with God's word. Let God's word be a lamp unto your feet and a song in our mouths. I'd like to show you in another way how the progress of the gospel in our lives is unstoppable. Last week, Steve preached a sermon of God orchestrating things in his life specifically and personally on how he, he was brought to the Lord the Lord searches after us like a man who found treasure in the field. He searches after us like a, a woman who, who lost one of her 10 coins and she searches her house. God's relentless in his pursuit of us. Why would he not? After all, you are his favorite person ever. You are. You are. You know when he thinks of you? a smile goes across his face. And you're like, oh, well, that's great. He probably thinks of me every now and then when I'm... He thinks of you every second, of every minute, of every hour, of every day, and he's been doing that since forever ago. You. But there are others. And he wants them to know that he also loves them and that they're his favorite too. And he uses you and he uses me and he uses his church to get that message out to a lost and broken world. To give them hope, the only hope that they can have. Jesus Christ. The unstoppable gospel moving through time and place through us, his church. We're his plan A.
and there is no plan B. He did, that's what he did. He's like, hey, this is it. Oh, and I don't have a backup plan. It's you guys. I'll be there with you. I'll be with you. But it's you. You're going. I'm sending you. Go. By the power of the Holy Spirit, orchestrated by God, the kingdom of God is advancing and it's unstoppable. And God is playing a song. And he's inviting us with our unique gifts and strengths that he has given us to join in that song. Last week, Steve played bass. He's a doom, 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 doom. He got a he got a note, and then he started to sing a cappella. And if you were here, you could hear a pin drop. It was beautiful. Nobody dared join that because they didn't want to ruin it. And it was beautiful. But at the end of Steve's sermon, doom, 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 doom. He got the note, and the words were up there. And the church started to sing. And I'm telling you, if you ask Steve, it was better the second time. Because it was more full. It was more complete. It felt right. Just to be a participant in it wasn't enough. To, 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 be, to be an observer wasn't enough. We were invited to be participating in it. When we play the song together, it's more complete. It's more full. If the good news of salvation was only for the Jewish nation, it would still be beautiful, honestly. But it wouldn't be complete. God had a better plan to include us in that as well. We read Luke chapter 14, and Tim stood up here and read it. And I hope that you've already drawn that connection. That we, in a sense, are the servants we are the servants in that that have been asked to go out and get the crippled and the lame and the blind, of which we belong to as well, and invite them into this banquet. And if that's not enough, go out into the country. Go out into the bushes. Shake every bush. I'm going to play a song. And as you listen to the song, it starts quiet and simple, and it grows and as you listen to this song fill in, imagine the gospel advancing in acts of what you know. But at the risk of sounding sacrilegious, the book of Acts is still being written. And we have a part to play. So I want you to listen to this song. Go ahead and play that song.
When you refuse to play, something's missing. What we're going to do right now is open up the rails uh, for prayers of the people. The round rails right now will be used for people that want to come up by themselves and pray, connect with the Lord in a unique way. The rails at the sides will be a place where you can go and have prayer for you, for some other folks. And um, thank you. Um, thank you for leaning into this. And uh, uh, let's, let's play. Let's play that song.